teary eyes in the uh, in the place. It's a nice song though, isn't it? Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter three. Philippians chapter three, and today we'll conclude our um, our series in this uh, chapter about reaching for that prize. Let's read Philippians chapter three, verse one. We'll read the whole chapter, and we'll review the chapter this morning, and we'll finish up with the last two verses, which will be the subject today, which is our hope. Let's uh, let's read together. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that, for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, Whereto we have, have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so, as ye have us for an example and sample. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. And whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things, for our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Let's commit this time to the Lord now. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for your word. Father, we just pray that... Even now, as we have read your word, that the seed would have been planted within our heart and would begin flourishing and growing, Lord, to draw us closer to yourself, to make us more like our Saviour, that we might be more faithful in our lives, more courageous for your work 
Lord, more committed to your things. Father, we pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would be here, that he would not be hindered, that he would do his work in our hearts, and that we would leave this place committed to you, that we would learn of your ways, that we would commit our walks and our steps to the Saviour. We pray that this morning you would be glorified in all things, that all the attention would be on you, our Saviour, and that we would be hidden behind your cross. We thank you once again for your precious word. We thank you for its preservation and its preserving power in our lives. I pray that you would use me, that I might encourage and challenge my brothers and sisters here this morning. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Hope. Now when you go through things in your life, without hope, there's a good chance you'll give up. Ever been in a situation in your life where you've lost hope completely? Well, if you lose hope completely, you're probably not going to persevere. You see, hope is the currency of perseverance. Hope is the currency of persistence. Because if you don't see, if you don't have hope in the end, you will not persevere. We can mourn and both rejoice that the wibbles are, are, are leaving. But we can mourn because we won't see them for a while, but we can rejoice in the hope that we will see them. There is an amazing, there is an amazing hope that comes from being a Christian. A hope that we will see each other in heaven. And even though you may lose, and you and I may lose loved ones and friends and family in this world, we know that they are not lost and that we will see them once again. That's hope. Sometimes you start a work and you and you think to yourself, oh, this is not this is not going to work out. But where the Lord is in it, where Jesus is present, there is always hope. We have a number of, of times in the Bible where people had lost hope and then Jesus arrives on the scene. People who had lost loved ones, their children. And when Jesus comes in any situation, all of a sudden there's hope. Even death can't take that away. So today's message is about hope. And before we, I, we, I, I get to that message, I want us to recap, because this will be the last message on this particular series, which is about reaching for that prize. And we've spoken about that prize a number of weeks now. That prize is the Lord Jesus Christ. For us to be closer to him, more like him, in every possible way. That's the goal of our lives. And I want us to just recap on some of the things, on some of these points that Paul has given us in order that we might have lives that are full of him. We might continue with hope that to run that race that he, that he started us on when he first saved us. So he starts off this particular passage, this chapter, with rejoice in the Lord always. Or finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Paul doesn't say rejoice in your salvation. doesn't even say that. doesn't say for us, he doesn't tell us to rejoice in heaven. He doesn't tell us to rejoice in the wonderful church you have. 
doesn't tell us to rejoice that our names are written in heaven or that you know the, 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 the demons are subject to us. He doesn't tell us to rejoice in many things that we can and normally do rejoice in. He tells us to rejoice in the Lord, in Jesus, in our Saviour. Our joy and the reason we rejoice is because of Him. Paul tells us over and over in this passage to rejoice in Christ. And he tells us that as a continual theme throughout his letters. And you know why? Because everything we have that is of any value, that's good, anything that we find joy in is ultimately found in him. He is our joy. He completes our joy. He begins it. He sustains it. And he finishes it. Everything that we have that is eternal, the things that last, the things that have eternal value and consequence are all found in Him. Our resurrection. One day, you and I will be resurrected. But we would never be resurrected if He wasn't first resurrected Himself. He won that for us. He conquered death so that one day we would rise again. Our salvation. It is He who secured our salvation on that cross. He won that victory on the cross. He paid for our sins so that we would not have to bear them ourselves. The Bible says that our, once you put your faith in Christ, that your name and my name is written in, in, in a book in heaven. Isn't that a wonderful thought? I'm, trying to, I'm, I'm still think, thinking which name is written in there because we've got a few of them. There's Francesco, Frank, and you know, anyway. The Bible says that our names are written in a book in heaven. And you know whose book that is? It's his book. It's the, the Lamb's book of life. The Bible says that when we get to heaven, there'll be rewards. The Bible says the, the, the roads are going to be paved in gold. There'll be a, there's a home that's being built for us up there. There'll be crowns given for faithfulness here on earth. But you know something? All the gold, all the mansions, all the crowns. Do you know something? The Bible says that we'll be throwing our crowns back down at his feet. Because in the end, they're all his. The roads are his, the mansions are his. And you know something? In the light of him, in, the, in his light, what does gold match up? How does gold compare? How do crowns compare? How does a house compare? It doesn't matter how glittery it is compared to him. The Bible says that, that we are preserved by the power of God. That what God started within us, he will complete till the end. He will make sure that the work that he began in us, he will make sure that we reach to the end, our destination. He gave us his spirit. But you know something, it's only because my saviour is in heaven now as my advocate. Even now when I mess up, even now when the devil goes and accuses me in front of our heavenly father, I have my advocate, I have my lawyer up there who pleads my case. That's the preserving power of God in our lives. That's how God sustains us because Jesus didn't finish the work. Jesus completed his work on the, in the world, but he's not just resting now. 
he's actually still working for his children. So in the end, all of our rejoicing is only meaningful if it's centred on Jesus Christ. It's all about him. Rejoice in Jesus Christ. And Paul then switches the rejoicing to warning. He goes from, Paul loves doing that. He takes you from one extreme to the, uh, to the other. But he says, beware of dogs. People who are passing them, themselves off as religious leaders who will tell you, oh, to be a Christian, you have to follow all these rules and regulations. Only then God will accept you. You have to perform a certain number of religious duties. And Paul described these types of people as putting the confidence in their own flesh, their own accomplishments, their own achievements. I'll tell you something. If you or I think that we have achieved anything in our lives, think again. If we have anything to boast in, we have nothing to boast in. Absolutely nothing. Because everything we have in our lives that's good has been given to us. You might, you might say, oh, what, what, is there nothing that, that I can claim any type of credit for? The answer is no. Because the Bible teaches us very clearly that everything that, that's good in our lives, everything that we have done that's good, in essence, was given to us by God's grace. It was God's grace that was first working within us to allow us to do those things. There is no credit we can take. In fact, every credit should be given. So Paul, Paul warns us about people who would try to take the glory away from God and put it on themselves. Who, ha- who cause us to focus on what we do. Who cause us to focus on rules and regulations rather than Christ. And Paul describes his own journey from, from being a proud religious person from being a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a Jew of the Jews, of, of having accomplished all these things in his, uh, during his religious life. And, but then when he looks back at those things, he says, they were all rubbish. None of them was worth anything. When I compare what I have in Christ, none of those things added up to anything. Paul then says that his, his pure joy... Everything that's worthy, he finds in his Saviour. And Paul's main desire was to know his Saviour, to understand and experience the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. And he says that he wants to be made conformable unto his death. And he says very clearly in, in this letter, 30 years after he'd become a Christian, I'm not perfect yet. I haven't reached the stage where I want to get to. I still have to work. I still want to be closer to him. I still want to know him more. I still want to experience him more in my life. And Paul the Apostle, at that age, after that time, said he had still a while to go. But he said something. He also said that even though he didn't consider himself to have reached where he wanted to get to, that perfection, that perfect relationship with his Saviour, he said that he would continue to make a conscious effort to do three things. To follow after his Saviour. To forget about what was behind. To forget about all the, the failures, all the problems, all the baggage that had come 
in his previous life and even during his Christian walk and to focus on his Saviour looking ahead. To press forward the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And that's excellent advice for us. Do you want to grow in the Lord? Do you want to grow? Do you want to get closer to him? Then forget what's behind. Mark a line in the sand and say, from this point onwards, I will not take into account all my past hurts, headaches, failures, and I will look forward to my Saviour. I will keep my eyes on him. Because if you keep looking back, I'm sorry, you're not going to go forward. Forget what's behind, reach forward to the prize that's in front. The prize is always in front of you. Jesus doesn't drive us from behind. He doesn't whip us from behind to move on. Jesus leads us from the front. So in order to move forward, you need to keep your eyes on him. And Paul says, Paul says even to the, uh, to the Philippians, he says, um, you want to follow Christ? Then do this to even help you out. Be followers together of me and mark them which walk so. Look for examples of people that are ahead of you, that have already moved a few, a few steps ahead, who are closer to the Lord. And, and look at them if you need to focus on something that, that's closer to you in order to move forward. And Paul says, Paul was so confident in his own walk, in his own mature, maturity, sorry, and passion to follow Christ, that he plainly said, look at me. If you want to imitate, if you need something more concrete to imitate, look at the way I do it. Look at my passion for Christ and follow me. So we have been called to imitate more godly examples. We've had two here for ten years. And God will continue to provide us with godly examples as examples for us to be able to imitate, to learn from. But there's also a call for us, each and every one of us, to understand that while we are called to look forward and, and chase after and follow after people who are ahead of us, we need to always remember that there are people behind us. And we are called to be an example to them. Never think that you've walked this, this walk alone. Never think that you're not an example to someone else or that it's not someone who's looking at what you do and either finding an excuse to sin or finding the encouragement to go on. Remember always, you are an example one way or the other. So Paul says to mark those who are walking as godly examples and use them as your examples. And then he says, mark those who aren't walking in a godly way and beware. Just as there are people who are worthy, who have things in their lives that are worthy of imitating, of worthy of following. And there are many things that you, you might look at and say, look at the way that person prays. I'd love to be able to pray that way. Look at the faithfulness that person has at church. Look at the way they deal with people in the church. Look at their graciousness. Look at their love. Look at the way they express themselves to other people in terms of their love, their patience, mercy, their meekness, 
There are so many things we can look as examples to follow. The Bible also says there are plenty of bad examples to follow. The Bible says mark them and make a conscious decision not to follow those things. Beware of them. And this brings us to the final point in this passage. In verse 20 and 21, Paul says, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for a Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things to himself. The final point Paul makes in encouraging us to strive for the prize of Christ, to commit ourselves to being as much like Jesus as we can in this world is hope. There are a number of scriptures that speak about hope. But this, is, this, this particular point he's saying is there is hope for us. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. I want to read one of the three different scripture verses that relate or that reinforce this idea. Colossians chapter 1, verse 5. Paul tells us in verse 5 of, of Colossians chapter 1, he says, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven... Whereof you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. There is a hope that's been laid up for us in heaven. Ready. Up there. And our hope is Christ. He's our hope. And he's up there. And he's waiting for us. Turn to verse 26 of the same chapter. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations... But now is made manifest to the, his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The fact that we have Christ within us, there is hope that we would one day be glorified to be like him. That's what, it, that's what it's talking about in verse 21, that one day God will change our vile bodies and he'll, he'll fashion them to be like unto his glorious body. One day we'll be glorified. There is hope in that. There is hope we have because Christ is in heaven and he will take us one day to be with him. But the other hope we have is that Christ is in us, in us, and that we are in him already and that we have this amazing hope only because of him. Turn to Titus chapter 2, verse 13. Titus chapter 2, verse 13. Now you know this verse. You've heard this verse before, haven't you? It says here that we are looking for that blessed hope 
and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Saviour Jesus Christ. One day, our great God and our Saviour Jesus Christ will appear in the sky to take us home to be with him. That's what the Bible calls a blessed hope. So we have a hope that is laid up for us in heaven. We have a hope of Christ in us and that one day will be glorified. We have a hope, what the Bible calls a blessed hope, that one day he will appear and we will see him. The Bible says that we'll be like him. Somehow the, the same body which Christ was given, the same type of body. Remember that one that was able to, to appear and reappear and walk through walls and do all types of amazing things. The one that never ages and never feels pain and doesn't, doesn't degrade and doesn't go backwards and doesn't get sore knees and arms and everything else and doesn't get arthritis and doesn't get sicknesses and I can go on and on. There's one day when we will receive the same type of body as him. And that's the hope that we have. That's the hope that we're looking forward to. The hope that the Bible speaks about here, the hope is that we are, look, that we are looking forward to, is not some weak and flimsy type of hope. It's not the sort of hope, oh, I hope one day it'll happen. No, no, no. This is the type of hope that will happen. This is a type of hope that's living and sure. This is a, a, a hope that looks forward and says, yes, I'm waiting for that day. I know that day will come. It's a certain expectation that comes with it. This is a type of hope that is so sure, that is so certain, that is so expectant, that what it does, it causes you to persevere and go through and work through all the trials and tribulations you have now. This is the type of hope that persists in the face of trials and resistance. This hope outweighs all fears and uncertainties. This hope endures because the Bible says that our conversation is in heaven. Our conversation is in heaven. When was the last conversation you had in heaven? I, I, I don't remember having a conversation in heaven, to be honest with you. In heaven. But the Bible says that, we, that our conversation is in heaven. A conversation in the way this particular word is used here means our citizenship. That we belong to a certain people. The life we have. He's not here. The life we have is actually in heaven. The community and the family that we belong to is not earthly, it's heavenly. I understand we have a Roma's father here who's visiting us from India. I haven't had a chance to speak to him yet. But he's visiting us from, from India for a particular purpose. Come and see his daughter. Come and see his new grandchild congratulations for that but his home isn't necessarily here is it even though he, he come, he's, he's coming to Australia to visit he's visiting he'll be here for a while but his life in essence his ministry his family his commitments his home everything that really his life revolves around, he's in India. His, his life, in a sense, does not exist in Australia. He's passing through. By the same token, our lives, if we reckon them properly, are actually based in heaven. Do you understand? We are visiting. 
We are simply here on loan. But these people were on loan to us. We're on loan to this world. God could have taken us home to be with him as soon as we got saved, but he didn't. And some of us wonder, why did you leave me here? Why couldn't you take me away as soon as I got saved? Well, imagine that. Imagine if, imagine if God took you home to be with him as soon as you got saved. Do you know what would have happened? This church wouldn't exist. This light would not be present in this community. We wouldn't be learning from each other. Who'd be sharing the gospel? But God is allowing us to stay here. Even though it's only temporary for us. Even though we understand this is not our home anymore. Because there's a need. The Apostle Paul had the same struggle within himself. He longed to be home with Christ. He he wanted to be home. But he knew there was a job for him to do. And he was torn between those two things. But in the end, it's wherever God wants me to be is where I'll be. We realise that our time here is short. It's fleeting. It isn't very long. Which is why we must make a very concerted effort to make the most of the time that we have. Not to waste it, to squander it, to lose it. Because think about the relationship between this life and the next. Think about the relevance of these 70, 80 years that you have here. And then think about the eternity that you have after. How we spend our lives here will determine the type of existence we have after. Everything that we do in our lives should be done in the light of this recognition that our citizenship, that our family, that our identity is in heaven, is heavenly, it's not earthly anymore. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2 with me. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 6 says, And you hath he quickened, that means made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation. That was our life before. In time past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. He made us alive in Jesus. By grace he has saved And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is probably one of my most favourite verses in the Bible. Because I don't understand it. 
but there are there are things I do understand. It says, it says that the life we now live is no longer connected to this world. The life we live is, has a connection in heaven now. That our identity has changed completely. We no longer belong in this world. We no longer follow the, the, what the, the, he calls here the prince of the power of the air. That we are somehow walking around like zombies chasing whatever, wherever he wants us to go. The, the, the Bible says that we've been freed from that. We've been liberated. We now have a new identity, a new citizenship. And it's, it exists up there. And even though by nature we were children of wrath, even though we were enemies of God, we were full of sin, we were dead, corpses. The Bible says that he brought us to life. He gave us life. He cleansed us of, our, of all of our sin, gave us a new start, and now he preserves us until the time when his son comes, comes to take us home to be with him. By the resurrection of Christ, God gave us life with the same power that he used to raise Jesus from the dead. You see, because we were dead. For all intents and purposes, we were dead. But God made us alive in him. With the same power that he used to raise Jesus from the grave. The spirit of God was given to us. Life was breathed into this dead man and I was raised alive. But not only that, God did not just give me life. But he gave me a new identity. He could have raised me up and, and, and made me alive and just left me with the same identity I had before. But he didn't. He gave me a whole new identity. An identity in a country that we call heaven. And even now, this is the part that I understand, it says that we sit together with him in heavenly places. Somehow I live up there already. Somehow I exist. Maybe my seat's up there already. I live up there. I exist up there. Yet God's got me here. May not comprehend it at this particular point, but one day we will. One day when we're there, completely, we'll understand exactly what he is saying. We've been given life in that place. We exist already there. In God's mind, we're already home. We're already home. We're the ones who are stuck in the temporal here. We get stuck in the, you know, in the time thing. We get caught in this time thing. You know, God, God doesn't get caught in time. God sits outside of time. In God's eyes, we're already saved. We're already glorified. We're already with him. How that works, I don't know. But I know that in, in God's eyes, it's already a complete deal. It's already been done. I look at the earth a little bit like an airport. This is how we should look at it. The world's like an airport, where people who live here are booked on a particular flight to go one of two places, and they're waiting for their flight to arrive. They have their passports, and one day they will enter into one or two types of planes that will bring them to their actual place of citizenship. If their citizenship is of the earth, they already have a dual citizenship. A citizenship of the earth and a citizenship of hell. The two are linked. Because the God of this world has claimed citizenship of the people here. But if the person has died in Christ and has been given new life, they become a new. God has claimed them for himself. God has claimed them as citizens of his kingdom. Of heaven. 
they've renounced their earthly citizenship. And as a consequence, no longer have that dual citizenship. They have one citizenship, which is in heaven. No longer are we citizens of the earth. And this is only because we died with Christ. Do you understand that when Christ died on the cross, we accepted his, his sacrifice for us? The Bible says that we died. We died. And when someone's dead, they've been freed, released from the law. They've been released from all the consequences of it because Jesus paid for everything. And when God raises us up to new life, we are now his. The life we have now is his life. We belong to him. If a person is in him, then he need not fear where he will go when he dies or of death itself because to be in Christ means to be safe and going home. The problem with the church today is that much of the church's theology centres around prosperity, around health, around wealth. It focuses on solving all your problems while you're on the earth it focuses on fixing up your life so you have a happy workplace, a happy marriage, a happy home. Where is that focused? Today's gospel is focused on being successful so that we look successful in, in the eyes of the world, does it not? Isn't a big emphasis on that? The problem is the gospel is man-centred and earth-focused. It's man-centred. And earth focused. The gospel was never like that. The gospel should be Christ focused and heaven centered. Christ focused and heaven centered. This is the gospel that we want to preach here. It's not about us. Never was, never will be. It's all about Him. Because the Bible says, in, that, in verse uh, 20, from whence also we look for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that, is that earth-centred? Is that focused on the earth? No, it's not. From whence we look, we're looking up. If a person be truly believes that Jesus will come and take them at any time, that there is, there is some point in our lives that, where Jesus will come and take us home to be with him, This blessed hope will actually change the way we are, the way we live. All the activities this person does, all the words they speak, all the, all the works, the time they spend, where they spend it, if you believe that Jesus could come back for you at any moment and you really believe that and are looking forward to it, tell me it would not change what you do and where you do it. Our real life will come down one day from heaven to take us to be with himself. Christ is our life and our hope. Don't let any, anything distract you from that one thought. Because Philippians chapter 3.21 says, And he will change, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Paul was under no illusion. That, that this body we live in at the moment was something that could be improved, fixed, or taken with us. 
It can't be taken with us. It's dead. It's gone. It's simply a vehicle that we're using at the moment. Rather, he believed that he would be changed and that we would receive a body fashioned after the type of glorified body that our Saviour received after the resurrection. As I mentioned before, with it, he was able to eat. He was able to appear, reappear. He was able to do amazing things that we can't do with our, our normal body. This reinforces perfectly the attitude that we should as we should behave as citizens of heaven while we are still clothed with these mortal bodies. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 with me, please. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. Paul says here, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, that's your body, okay? Your earthly tabernacle is your body, this earthly house that you live in. We have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. Okay, so... Once again, it's reinforcing it. We're groaning. The desire should be, the inward desire should be, I want my new body. I want to be clothed in your righteousness. I want to be clothed in your love, in the, in the, in the, in the body you've prepared for me. For this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed. If we truly believe and are saved, then our earnest desire will be to be clothed with our new body, a body that will never change, never grow old. It will be good. Now, I know that word groaning. It's not the same type of groaning you do when you're trying to get out of bed in the morning. Or when you've got a bad back and you go, oh! That's not the type of groaning it's talking about, okay? This, is the, this type of groaning is an inward cry of the heart to be with Christ, to be clothed in his beauty, in his righteousness, to be free of all sin, to be before him at home, at perfect peace. In fact, the Bible says, you know something? We're not the only ones who groan. The Bible says that all of creation groans. Turn to Romans chapter 8.22. We're just about to wrap this thing up. Romans eight twenty two says, For we know that the whole of the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our bodies. You know something? The whole of creation is waiting to be redeemed because it was subject to the curse because of man's sin. 
Man sinned, and as a result of man's sin, the whole of creation was ruined. This is why we see so much bloodshed, so much evil, death and suffering around us, because we made it that way. But the whole of creation has been subject to the same death. And the Bible says it's been waiting for the redemption of the, the sons of God. Because the day when we are redeemed, the day when that is complete, the Bible says the whole of creation will be renewed. The curse will be lifted. You know that, that, that picture of the millennium where you've got a lion you know, and, and sitting down next to a lamb. And all those wonderful pictures that you see that a, a child can go and play and play with a with snake and not get bitten and not, not have any fear. There will be no death. There will be no suffering in all of God's world. So the whole of creation is waiting for that redemption. Do we have this earnest desire in our hearts today? That's my question of us. Where's our hope? I believe that one reason that there is no desire for holiness, there is no push to run the race, there, is, there, is, there are too many Christians who are just sitting back in their comfortable you know, armchairs not pushing themselves for the kingdom of God is because they're not really desiring to see Christ. There's no desire. It's the cart before the horse. It's a bit like if someone were to say to you, if you share, share the gospel with someone and they said, and they said to you, oh, I'll, I wanna, I'll fix up my life first and then I'll come to God. What would you say to them? Wouldn't you say, what are you talking about? You'll never fix up your life. You can't fix up your life. Let God clean you up. Let God give you a new identity and then you can start that road. Well, what about Christians who do the same? What about Christians who are still playing the same game? I don't want Jesus to come just yet. Not right now, Lord. Like I've got a few things I've got to fix up in my life before you come back. So, look at this. The very thing that, that non excuse non-believers give to not turn to Christ because they want to fix their own lives up is the same excuse Christians give for not wanting Jesus to return. Have you thought about that? How... On a level of 0 to 10, how much are you looking forward to him coming back right now? Is it high? Because if it's not, why is it not? Is it because you've got certain things you've got to fix up in your life before? Is, it, is that what you're thinking? But it's the cart before the horse, you see. Because to say I want to fix up things in my life before I desire to see him back is the same problem that non-believers have in turning to him in the first place instead put your heart on him desire to see him regardless of where you're at at the moment long to see him and you know what the bible says that you will purify yourself because of that desire because you desire you long to be with him you long for him to come back that will change your mind that will change your mindset and it will, the consequence will be that you will naturally stop doing the things that you don't want to do. You will naturally have more victory in your life. You will naturally change your focus from earth to heaven. Desire to be with him first, and then that desire will change your life after. The Apostle John says in 1 John 3.2, Beloved, now we are the sons of God. 
And it does not yet appear what we shall be. We don't know what it's going to be like. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in, in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. The Apostle John tells us that if we long to see him, that there is a purifying process that takes place because of that desire. But the moment we begin to think to ourselves, oh no, it's better if he doesn't come back just yet. I've got a few things to sort out in my life. I don't want to be standing before him in this way. The moment you begin to do that, where's your focus? Where's your heart? Your heart's on yourself. Your focus is on yourself, on your efforts and your motives. Instead of being on Christ and then let that draw you to him. Turn to one last scripture verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 48. As is the earthly, such are they also that are earthly. And as is the heavenly, such as they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Remember those words. Those words are just encouraging. There's our hope. So Paul's told us in this chapter, in everything, we must remember that in this world we're in a race. And our our goal is to be like our Saviour, to be as close to Him and as much like Him as we possibly can. We are in the race for a glorious prize, and that prize is Christ. He has to be the focus of our efforts. Our prayer is that we would know Him more experience the power of his resurrection more of our, in our lives, to be more like him, to forsake this world more and the deceptive prizes that it offers. And remember always that we are citizens of heaven, children of God, looking forward to when Jesus will come back and take us home to be with himself. Remember to run the race. Commit your life to him. And in all things, commit your steps to him as well. He will guide you into his truth. I hope you've enjoyed this, uh, this series as much as I have. It's been a huge blessing to me as I've prepared it for you. Um, remember always that we are in this race together. So our goal is to support one another in it as well. God bless you all. Thank you very much.